0: This is First Contact Stories of the Call Center. Get ready to dial into the exciting world of call centers with First Contact Stories of the Call Center podcast. Join us as we share stories from industry leaders, explore the latest trends and technologies, and tackle the challenges and triumphs of the contact center landscape. Fasten your seatbelt for a high-energy journey brought to you by Nobel Biz, the one-stop shop for all your call center needs, both in software and service. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of First Contact Stories of the Call Center. I'm really excited about today's guest. She's a business consultant who's been at the forefront of transforming customer and employee experiences across some of the world's most renowned brands. I mean, from Salesforce to Hulu to General Motors and Procter & Gamble. Now, her mission isn't just about big names and big changes. It's about a paradigm shift, a movement towards empathy in action. In a world where many believe that empathy comes with a hefty price tag, she challenges this notion, advocating that true empathy can lead to reduced costs and increased revenue. A sentiment that, Especially in today's economic climate, it's not just refreshing, but essential. Now look, as we navigate the intricate web of contact centers, technology, and the human touch, today's episode promises to offer a fresh perspective, one that emphasizes the heart of any business lies in its two most valuable assets, its customers and its employees. So without further ado, let's dive deep into the world of Dr. Natalie Petahoff and the transformative power of empathy in the business realm. Dr. Natalie, thanks for joining. Excited to have you here. Wow, thank you so much. Now, look, we always start the show with trying to find out, how did you get into the contact center space? What was your journey? Talk to us about the beginnings, and then how did you get into this?
1: So I was working for General Motors, and... Uh, who was owned by Hughes Electronics. So it was part of Hughes Electronics and Raytheon bought Hughes and um, they came along and they said, Raytheon, cause I was working on, I was an engineer at the time and I had been working on all these people initiatives. We did this thing called employee development. We were looking at the experience of our engineers at Hughes Electronics and losing a lot of engineers to, um, to actually Northern California, they were digital signal processing engineers. And so when Raytheon came in, they bought us and they said, you know, all that stuff that you've been developing, like it's great, but see that circular file over there? Well, that's where it's gonna go. And I'm thinking, it's a garbage can. (laughs) And I was very young and very attached to the work that I did and thought that it mattered. And so I was kind of shocked and frustrated. And I happened to be on a plane going home to see my sister to Michigan. And it was one of those planes where there was hardly anybody on it, which is very unusual these days. Right. And they were closing the door and they said to her, hurry up and sit down. And she was juggling luggage and a Diet Coke and a pizza. So I helped. Nobody looked up. Right. So I helped her get seated and we were talking and it's a good four and a half, five hour flight. And so at the end of it, she said, you know, you would be a fantastic consultant. We really need somebody in our contact center practice. And she happened to be from consult management consulting. And so, you know, we talked again on Monday and I interviewed and that's how I kind of got into the contact center world was I had been working as an engineer and, um, you know, was looking for a transition role. And they loved the fact that I had a PhD they loved the fact that I had been in technology, a very strong technology background. And um, at that time, a lot of the work was systems integration and, you know, like companies buying big ERP and CRM systems. And so they, and because I had this bent, twor- excuse me, towards people, um, it was kind of a natural combination. It was a good place to to start that journey and s- start to try to make a difference where people and technology kind of came together.
0: So let's kind of go back to that moment, right? Where you were helping. What, what in that moment were you doing though, that made this person go, you know what, you would be great at consulting. (laughs) I mean, there had to be, it couldn't have just been like, Hey, let me help you out. And you're like, Oh my gosh, you're amazing. You should do this for a living. Like, was there anything in particular that stood out or that popped where they came back to you and said, you know, this is where your calling is because there's something you did in transitioning this moment of need or this moment of feeling where somebody was at and then helping them get to that next level. Was there anything specific that came out of that, that you just said, huh, you're right. This, this is something I enjoy. And I'm really good at.
1: I think it was the overall conversation. It was a pretty long conversation, obviously from Los Angeles to Michigan. Um, I think part of it was Just talking about the changes that were happening at Raytheon at the time, understanding it from the customer's point of view, understanding it from the employee's point of view, and then understanding the impacts to the business. So I had really thoroughly analyzed all the different pieces and just felt like maybe there were other things to consider. And at the time, empathy wasn't exactly kind of my thesis, but I think it's kind of in my DNA. It's always been there. And so really consider, I think it's really, probably what she liked the most about was that I was considering other people's points of views and then bringing that all together. And I think that's part of what makes a good consultant is the idea of ask versus tell and really considering kind of all the facets or all the angles and then seeing how that impacts the business versus thinking. I think a lot of people in business have this like kind of ivory tower mentality of, I know better. And um, what I'm always, mm, I, I wouldn't say surprised, but kind of refreshed that whenever I do help a client, a lot of times, you know, they're struggling with that ivory tower kind of, we really need to make these changes, but we really don't know how to do it. We're not really sure what to do. And then I always come back with, well, let's go talk to customers. Let's go talk to the employees, right, that are delivering whatever it is that you want to deliver. And it's really fascinating how much you learn. And then it's fascinating to see how that informs um, and surprises oftentimes leaders and managers. And they're like, wow, I hadn't thought about that. So, yeah, it's um, the power. I mean, you know, leaders like Herb Keller or, you know, leaders that did the management by walking around, that's like kind of an old uh, practice, um, but it still works. It, re- it really makes a difference.
0: Well, I think a lot of times we talk about going back to the basics, going back to the fundamentals. And I think that's one of them, right? It's a really great one of, uh, you know, the management walking around and really being able to get down into the trenches as well. Uh, one of the things you said that was really interesting was that part around how that you said that empathy wasn't always part of, you know, where you started, but there was always this like person people aspect of it and kind of getting in and seeing where people work. You talked about the ivory tower and it's interesting because um, you said, well, you know, they, they know everything or act like they know everything. And there's always this concept behind, you know, fake it till you make it is in one box. You have the other box of I have to be the smartest person in the room. Otherwise, I look weak, right? Or people think that I need help means I don't know how to do my job, right? There's this perception of weakness. And in your field, right, in consulting, you know, you're always going to have people that are questioning, like, why do we need a consultant? Why do we need to bring somebody else from the outside in, right? And then you have the people that are like, yeah, I am the smartest person in the room and you should follow everything I said. So you have everything in between in that dynamic. So you've really kind of throughout your career, right, held a lot of different positions. You've consulted tons of different industries and verticals. So when you look at that and you've taken across all those experiences, how do you feel that that's actually shaped your perspective on one, the customer and then the employee experience and then how those two combine within the contact center space. Because obviously you didn't have a background in contact center, then you kind of got went into it. And so everyone usually has a preconceived notion about the world of the call center if you're not in it. And then when you're in it, you have your own. So how did that shape your experience getting into it and finally seeing what it was like behind the curtain? So
1: what's fascinating was Early on in my career at General Motors, I did spend time on the assembly line. And so when I and it's a very structured job, you have a very specific thing that you're supposed to do. And when I first started visiting call centers and I'm very hands on and very practical. So I said, okay, well, if I'm going to make be making decisions about people who answer the phone or do chat or do email, I really want to understand their role and what they do and the technology that they're using. And so one of the first things that I did was do side by sides. So actually sitting with agents, you know, and at that time, looking at the 30 windows that they had open, hopefully most contact centers are starting to consolidate some of the apps that they use into a single desktop. Although I I know in many cases, that's still a fantasy Um, But just sitting there and being with them and understanding from their point of view, what is their job? What does it look like? What's the day in the life of? And years later, when I read a lot of uh, uh, Clayton Christensen's work, he would ask, what's the job to be done? Right. And when you really focus on the job to be done, you really understand from that person's point of view what that is. And then I would look, I would work with supervisors. I would work with team leaders. Then I would talk to the management who was running the contact center, whether it was uh, internal or outsourced to try to understand what they were trying to accomplish and who their customers were. And then looking at the brand and the brand voice, looking at it from the marketing's point of view, looking at it from the contact center leader's point of view. And so part of that was, a process of me getting educated on what that was, but what I found, because I didn't, as you said, I didn't have that solid background in the contact center. Um, what I found was that was a really good practice to actually see in in action what people were going through, what their priorities were, and the things that were important to them. And so it just became part of how I did things. And then oftentimes. You know, you'd hear calls or you'd hear um, examples of what was happening. And sometimes the things that were the experiences that we were delivering weren't very good. And so I would say, hey, can we make a note of that one? And then I would take those particular calls or interactions. And when I was in a meeting with C-Level or whoever was making budget decisions or strategic decisions, I would say, hey, can we replay that? Because what I often found was this disconnect where you don't, the people who are making the decisions aren't sitting in the contact center. They aren't close to the customer. They aren't hearing the voice of the customer or the voice of the employee. And so as a result, they make decisions at a level where they're not really fully cognizant of the impact that those decisions are going to have. And so Part of what I always felt my job has been is to bring all those perspectives together, and it and sometimes uh, like sometimes you do have um, CEO level people or executives that will come and and do this kind of experience, but oftentimes they don't. So being able to play calls and just have them have executives be a little bit closer to what that experience is of their customer and of the employees who are delivering those. And seeing that oftentimes the experiences really aren't the employee's fault. It's the technology, it's the process, it's the policies, it's the way that we've structured their jobs. And then just bringing that all together to say, is this really the experience that we want to deliver? And then you know, oftentimes I would say, oh, the reaction would be, well, that's just got to be a one-off. And I would say, no, I have 50 more examples if you want to hear them. And they're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible, right? And so... Again, I hadn't really coined empathy as kind of my uh, soapbox, but I think that that was the practice. So for me, empathy is really sitting in the seat of the other, seeing the world from their point of view, and then truly understanding what their experience is. And then once you integrate that, it's almost impossible, I think, to, to not have that influence part of how you make decisions.
2: Running a contact center these days takes a great deal of courage and fortitude. Nobel Biz would like to salute the contact center community for not giving up and working hard to drive their businesses down the road to success. As the promise keepers of the industry, our goal was to provide one of the most versatile and cost-efficient omni-channel solutions on the market. Nobel Biz OmniPlus is a cloud contact center software that gives instant access to a full range selection of channels from voice calls, two-way SMS, email, WhatsApp, Twitter, Telegram, among others. Our solution offers complete control over the externalities by switching from an on-premise technology to a cloud-based solution in just a matter of hours. Get integrated compliance support, advanced reporting, seamless agent and supervisor dashboards, and many more performance-enhancing capabilities all in just one product. Nobel Biz Omni Plus, the future-proof solution for scaling contact center operations. Learn more about Nobel Biz Omni Plus at www.nobelbiz.com.
0: It's so interesting how you talk about that piece of what the day in the life of of the, let's say the representative of the agent is, and then you're going back and trying to figure out, well, what is the end result? What's the so what? What are we trying to do here, right? Like not in the trenches do here, we get the tactical sides, but what is the things of success look like in the end? And sometimes I see that companies don't go that far because the call center or contact center, if they're using other medias, sometimes they're just looked at as a cost center. It's a cost of doing business. And whenever I think of almost, word- almost
1: always, that's what I, I, okay. So if you could help me with this, who said that, who was the first person who said a call center or a contact center is a call center? Cause I would really like to talk to them <laughs> and, and eradicate that because to me, that's never been the case. And it's the thing that I feel contact center leaders, CX leaders, employee experience leaders are fighting against it's a paradigm that got locked in and it's it's where executives go every single time you talk about changing especially when i talk about empathy because they think you know like you said in the beginning that i'm asking for more budget i'm just asking really for leaders to spend it differently yeah and and, and, yeah
0: no you're totally right around the fact that for the longest time it's always been a cost center. Now, obviously people are trying to shift it to, it's a profit center or, you know, it increases lifetime value. And like, there's all these other metrics, but in the end, right, it's the people. And when I say the people, it's both the people that are in the centers, right. That are doing all the hard work, having those important conversations, but it's also the people, meaning the customers that you serve that have a journey with your brand, right. Or with the entity in which you're trying to get from A to Z. And many times it's all about costs. How do I reduce costs? How do I reduce costs? And that's usually the first thing. It's not the outcome first. And then how do I find savings and still get to that outcome? So when you're talking about earlier about, you know, the concept of empathy, many times when people think of the word empathy, you know, they'll mix it up with sympathy or they'll say, well, then you can go over to compassion. And, you know, there's all these in-betweens about the concepts, but then people will go back and say, but empathy is emotional, right? It's just emotions. It's, a, I'm just feeling what you're feeling but that doesn't get me anywhere. So let's talk a little bit about how did you get to empathy then? And why is empathy the soapbox when it comes to your mission, right? Because your mission today and both your books and also in the way you come across in your speak is, hey, I'm here with you right now. I'm feeling and I'm in your actions. How did that come about?
1: So part of it was my early experiences doing the side by sides. And so whether it was the contact center or my early work as an engineer really under like when I had done the work at his electronics and we were losing all the employees uh the especially the digital signal processing engineers when I said, and then I was given this mandate to go hire a thousand engineers because we're the con- our contracts were in trouble and I said well do we know why people are leaving did we ask them they're like well, no and I said, well, I think we're skipping over a step to truly understand why, right? And if we could fix, like, great, you know, I'll figure out how do we hire a bunch of people. But I think they're just going to leave once they get in the job and they have the experience of whatever it is that's causing people to leave. It's going to happen again. And so I think Einstein was the one that said, keep doing things the same way and then expecting something different um, is the definition of insanity. So my training as an engineer was to always go and look for root causes. And so what I what I found was that if we don't solve the root cause, we're just going to have the same thing. And so what I found was the high attrition that we had in the engineering world was a lot of it had to do with not feeling seen or heard no career path, um, a lot of not invented here, um, psychological, uh, lack of psychological safety, um, afraid to raise your hand because um, you were suggesting something that was out of status quo, um, managers actually taking credit for ideas. So a lot of behavior, management behavior that was really pretty, at least by today's standards, although I I do see it still happening, pretty obnoxious, right? It's not, it's not what creates followership, right? Um, and so what I found was the very similar aspects of what you have with respect to employees in any situation was very similar to what, when I sat down with contact center agents or team leaders, or even the people running the contact center was that how they felt and what they knew and the perspective that they were bringing of the customer. I mean, just listening to their comments, just listening to some of the calls and the things that customers would say or write, um, whether it's text or chat or email, the things that customers would say back, were it was really invaluable feedback, right? Because that is, those people are your canary in the coal mine, They're giving you the information that you really need to improve your business. And I think part of this really came from early on when I was working in the automotive industry, there was a man named Edward Deming. And he was the one who had been trying to bring what I think he called it total quality management, which was really looking at the voice of the employee and the customer and bringing that to bear in the American auto industry. And he tried with the big three at the time and it, it didn't really work. And so he went to Japan and he transformed the whole uh, whole automotive industry. And so he was one of my early role models. It was also IDO, right? And looking at early product development, right? And to me, the concept of actually listening to the person that you're delivering something for, whether it's a product or an employee experience or a customer experience, just makes common sense that you would want to know that input and use that input to how you run your business.
0: You went back and talked about the early days and root cause, right? The the need to have a root cause and that curiosity of going back and saying, well, there's got to be a reason. There has to be something behind this. It's not just, it is what it is. We've always done it this way or, well, that's just the way the business wants it. Right. And Many times, yeah, fine. That's maybe the process in place today. But the process in place today should be repeatable, scalable to the outcome that you want, right? It's not there just because it's there. There's a reason why. And if it's not giving you to the outcome you want and it's not efficient and effective and repeatable and scalable, then you have the wrong process. (laughs) You might even have the wrong people in place. So when you go back and talk about the need for root cause and then you go back and you're looking at the people, that are invested in doing the work, you go back across this rich, varied career that you've had. Has there been anything unexpected though? Like these challenges that were unexpected or lessons that really reshaped your approach? Or were you always like, this is what it is because I got to find the root cause and it's about people. I mean, there had to have been something, right? What came in and what kind of made you step back and go, I didn't expect that to happen or I wasn't expecting to learn that?
1: I think the part that was unexpected was how infrequently leaders would use that process. So for me, because I was, I think as an engineer, you're put into a situation and you're trying to solve a problem that nobody knows why it's happening. Right. And you're trying to find the root cause and you're trying to look at um, solutions right? And so in order to do that, you really have to explore all the facets of what's going on and to get to that root cause. And so I think part of it is being a problem solver and being open to what is the input, right? That's making this problem happen. And then what are the variables that are affecting that input? And then looking at what outcome do I actually want, right? Do I want employees who are complacent Do I want employees who are like looking at their watch and they can't wait to get out of here? Do I want people who are not, you know, we call it quiet quitting today. I I don't really think quiet quitting is new. I think it's a great label to say, (laughs) I'm going to show up for work, but I'm not really going to do 100%. I'm going to do 80 or 60 or 40 or whatever that is. Um, So I think that until you really understand what exactly you're solving for, right? If you look at an equation and you look at the variables in the equation and then you have an equal sign and then you have all of this input equals something at the end, right? So it's kind of a a way to look at how do we put all these pieces together to get a particular outcome? When you add them all up, you can see what are the things that are adding value, what are the things that are distracting value, and you can see what that output or that that answer is. And so I think that maybe because I had a very logical approach to these pieces that made up both the employee and the, the customer's experience, that time and time again, I would rely on the formula. And sometimes you don't know whether it's going to work, right? Especially when you're first starting out. But over and over and over, where I got to bring the most insight into the leaders that I was working for was following this process. And I, what it does do is it requires us to slow down to go fast because unless you slow down enough to look at the pieces, then you're making conclusions about the outcome that you really don't know that you don't know. And what I found was how often, I think another thing that surprised me was how often Companies have blind spots and they make decisions from the blind spot. So if you're traveling on the freeway at 60 miles an hour, a blind spot can be pretty darn dangerous. It can put a lot of at risk. And so what I was thinking about was what if you had the input? What if you had that rear view mirror so you could actually see who is next to you or or, like the impending danger? wouldn't that give you a more informed view? And so I think when we don't know that when we don't know and we make decisions, we often make really dangerous decisions that have impacts that are far-reaching. And I think that that's part of what is happening in corporate America is coming from a place of "I know," and uh, and I know better than you, and I'm not going to really take that input, and I'm not really going to look at it and I'm going to make a decision and hope the best. And a lot of businesses are struggling. And I think if they actually heard the voice of their employees, there was a study by Gallup uh, very recently, and Gallup said something like 77% of, and it's in varying degrees, of employees in a workplace are quiet quitting. Some are somewhat disengaged and some are extremely disengaged. So if you think about of your employees actually adding value for every employment dollar, you're getting 23 cents. Like to me, that doesn't make any sense at all if I'm running a business. so And I don't think it matters whether it's contact centers or or a regular business. The other piece that I thought was fascinating is when they ask the people who are quiet quitting, what would you change? They know, they know what they want. But nobody's asking, and so you see Fortune, Forbes, Inc, uh, Wired. I see all these articles about management theory and what's happening in corporate America, and what I see repeatedly is that there's a decision that comes from on high without the without these inputs and these variables. And oftentimes, I think businesses are going to find they're still struggling, struggling with attrition, struggling with quiet quitting struggling with lack of productivity. Uh, I think a lot of leaders think that getting people back into the office so they can watch people is an answer. I do believe that there's a great deal of um, you know, camaraderie and networking and team building that could be done in person. But it, like if you're requiring people go back in, um, wh- what's the reason, right? And how are you going to change the dynamics so that it really does add value? Versus just kind of hoping that people, because people are there and you can watch them, that that they somehow change their attitude. so i I think what's been most surprising to me is the practices of people like Herb Keller, right, who ran Southwest for many, many years very successfully, and then we see that airline. Um, and the 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 uh, analysis that I read was that the employees had given feedback about their systems and that they are antiquated, and that if they reached a certain particular tipping point, it there would be a point of no return. And so that's why there, I think, was scheduling software that really became the issue. And so companies have the feedback from employees. It's just a matter of whether anybody's listening. And I think that's a really transformative point in today's world, which then goes back to when I was working on the book and coming up with a concept, um, I wanted to name this process of getting the feedback. So you had asked me before about sympathy and about empathy. Sympathy is, the, is a natural human response. Someone expresses something, we say, I'm sorry. The difference between sympathy and empathy is empathy is listening to understand, right? Not listening so that you can speak and figure out the next sentence that you want to say and then really integrating that perspective into your decision making process into the conversation and what i find is once you understand somebody else's point of view it's going to change your point of view and then that's going to change the decisions that you make and so empathy has become kind of my my catchword for this process that i've learned actually over quite a few years being in in inside of companies and Uh, consulting externally.
0: So much to unpack.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know it's been a long career.
0: No, but there's so much good information, these nuggets in there. So let's kind of try to break some of that apart, right? Some of it was related towards these surprises of people just not following these, what you call, you know, logical processes, right? These things where if you followed this formula, right? You'd be able to get some additional information in these gaps that you're making decisions in. And then ultimately you could be making decisions as you give the example, You know, going at a certain speed and not being able to see what's going on. It can be dangerous for all involved, right? And of course, we also don't want to live in a world where we don't make decisions, right? That we wait for all the information and all the information is the only time we make decisions because then it's too late. We won't have made a, a good decision. So it's about... How do you get more information faster, better, actionable information so that you don't delay, you don't miss the turn, but at the same time, you're able to do so in a way that's uh, beneficial to everybody, right? And you're talking about how the individual people that you're talking to, they have the answers, right? They have these answers. And so one of the things I've always noticed when I look at businesses is sometimes you promote for the sake of promoting and they may not actually deserve or actually be the right fit. Not everyone's made to be a manager or a supervisor, a leader of people or a team. But how then, let's say in the contact center space, where you look at the contact center and we say, well, you know, not everybody can be a supervisor because you have no agents or representatives. Not everybody can run the center. And we all know that there's a high attrition and turnover rate in the contact center. Side. So then how do you go, well, look, we have this... Moment in time where you have all these people that say, Well, I need to be noticed or I want to feel like I have a career path. And you sit back and go, Okay, well, I have X amount of agents and only so many will perform well in the role. Number two, there's even slots available for someone to even move up. How do you create an environment? How do you balance the fact that, of course, most people want more pay? Most people want to feel valued. Most people want to know that this is just not the end. Right. And that there's a purpose, not just this is a job. How does a business now go back into the mindset of the contact center being a cost center and saying, well, you're not all tomorrow going to get promoted in a pay raise? How do you then create a, an environment? How do you go in as a consultant and say, How do I get this place to be the 23% that really add value to now be inverted? And maybe the 8020 rule is. of you, maybe you're going to be adding value. How do you start working towards that, knowing that normally it's the 20% that is adding that huge value and the rest aren't?
1: I think a lot of life is about setting expectations. And so there are some people who want a job where they come in, they do a job, and then there's no management responsibilities. There's no leadership responsibilities. So I think part of it, it is really setting What is that role, right? And what are the expectations and being really clear about what that is. One of the things I also think is that the role of the contact center, because that person is hearing the voice of the customer every single day, there may not be a place inside of the contact center, but there may be a place inside of the company, quality management, it could be engineering, it could be marketing. I mean, think about, so we spend hundreds of millions of dollars, I mean, depending on how big your company is, to gather market research. If you think about the contact center agents and the things that they say about the products and services, if you collectively took that information and you can do that, you know, do quality monitoring monitoring, or text, you know, like there's there's a lot of rich data, right? And you could take that information. But if you took those people who were listening to that for that context and help them integrate themselves into various parts of the company, that could be a really cool career path for the contact center. And so I've worked with brands that have actually used the contact center as a way to bring in people into, into other roles. So, I mean, it it definitely takes um, a plan and a process, right? And so I think it's, Part of it is being really clear about what the role is, about what the expectations are. And then, you know, asking that person, because, you know, like, let's say you're a mom or let's say that you do have another job because you're trying to make ends meet, maybe just being a contact center agent is perfect for you. And if you have management and leadership aspirations, then allow people to be clear about that. And then help them grow into those other places in the organization that would benefit from having that customer experience perspective
2: a famous african proverb says that if you want to go fast go alone but if you want to go far go together at nobel biz we have made it our mission to travel far and wide with our partners and clients as a complete telecom services provider with over 20 years of experience in the industry Nobel Biz offers the only voice carrier network designed with the sole purpose of serving call centers around the world. This contact center dedicated carrier network provides crystal clear voice traffic, up-to-date compliance tools, intelligent routing, and highly secure data protocols combined with 99.9% uptime and easy setup. Our goal for 2022 is to become the ultimate partner and provider for the contact center industry by placing service quality at the top of our priority list. To top it off, at Nobel Biz, we have the most competitive cost-per-minute model in the industry. Need proof? Reach out to us and learn more about the Nobel Biz Voice Carrier Network at www.nobelbiz.com.
0: Yeah, that's so true about being able to understand whether or not There's something that they want and then have a plan on how do you get that? How do you get to that spot? And you know, there's a lot of people that will work really hard and they just hope that by working really hard, they'll create enough of an environment where people will see that. And then that equals, oh, this person wants more. So I'm not going to give them more. Right. Some people will wait until they say, hey, this person wants more because they're verbal about it. They want to show me and they're asking me all the time. Like, hey, here are the things I want. I want to know the process on how to get to that next spot. And so in a business having that leadership i think you talked about where there's that gap sometimes in that middle management of how do you develop the next leader how do you develop the next manager how do you develop somebody that can help develop other people around them and bring them along for the ride versus you all make me look good so i can't lose you and you can't go up because then i have to do this all over again and i think the true piece of a leader right is you can constantly not only redo that over and over, but your job is to do that. It's to get that person where they are today to that next level because they rose to the occasion. They stepped it up. You move that little knob just a little bit, you know, in a radio, the old radios, you turn the knob just a little bit and it goes from fuzzy to now you can hear things clearly, right? And it doesn't always take a lot of effort, but it does take that idea to go in and do that. So when we now go back to technology, I did a little bit of, Analog there, but we go back into technology and people want self service that works well, right? And when it doesn't, it pisses a lot of people off. But we also see from a cost perspective, people want to go, you know, full blown self service because it's a lot less expensive than having to hire people. So, how do you see businesses today that are saying, I need to adopt these other self service models or more technology, less people, or less people in certain scenarios, right, that can be self-service. How do you get real genuine empathy in the customer experience when you're balancing the tech side and then where people may or may not fit in that? What are you seeing or what have you been involved in to make sure empathy still exists in those interactions?
1: So there's, there's there we could do a whole two hour show just on that concept. So the first thing is, I think that there's a misnomer that self service will result in fewer contacts, right? So, um, and I was an analyst, right? So I was one of the people who wrote about self service and the return on built lots of ROI models, right? And so I think that we believe that there's the possibility. It's true that if you could help people self-serve and they didn't contact a, an agent, that interaction would be less expensive. However, because oftentimes the technology is not really designed to deliver an experience that's acceptable to the customer, the customer, it isn't once and done. The, the first contact resolution or FCR is not as high as we think, and so because customers have become to not trust, let's say, an AI chatbot, right? Because they're not quite sure, you know, they say something and then they repeat themselves and they repeat themselves and then they start yelling into the phone and actually makes speech recognition more frustrated because um, it causes distortion, then that customer loses confidence in the self-service channel. So even if you're offering self-service because of the lack of trust, customers are going to opt out. So we go back to, can the technology actually deliver the experience that creates the trust of repeat use? And so unless you're really designing and testing for that customer experience, we don't know what we don't know. Now, you know, AI and chat GPT and, and all the things that we see now, it's getting better, right? Um, but we really need to be really fully cognizant of the experience that we're creating and testing and getting feedback to really understand, are we getting a very high first contact resolution? Otherwise people are going to use other channels and they're, so it's going to really cost you more. So we have to be really careful. And again, this is one of those situations where you have to slow down to go fast, which is using some design thinking to truly understand Can the technology deliver? And if you're looking at a vendor and you're trying to decide between a couple of vendors and you put out an RFP, I would, at the same time, I mean, RFPs, you've got to do that as part of a procurement process, but I would also say set up a sandbox and try to figure out, you know, do some test cases and see if that technology can actually deliver the experience that you're looking for. And and then hold that vendor very tightly to those expectations, so that you're getting what you thought you paid for. Because oftentimes that isn't the case. And then I think that um, we we also have to figure out that sometimes people just want to talk to people. So part when I've been consulting with DoorDash, and one of the things that we found was that in the contact center, which is Historically, I think they started about in the 50s and 60s. Historically, we've scripted a lot of conversations with agents and the role of the agent has been to very tightly follow that script. And the script has been made up primarily of I'm sorry statements and requiring that you say the person's name three times because somehow that creates personalization. I, the the results that we've seen is it creates irritation, not personalization and um, And then really looking at um, what does that customer want, right? So do they want to hear, I'm so sorry that that's happening to you. In some cases, that's an appropriate response, like really showing compassion. In other cases, someone is interacting because they really need something done, right? They want you to take action. And so going back to the concept of empathy and action is really listening to understand to solve the problem, and that I think that goes back to my engineering days where the concept was if someone's making a request, how do I get to that root cause and solve the problem? So rather than having a lot of, I'm sorry, and I understand how frustrated you are, and that must be really difficult statements in a phone or a chat interaction is to really figure out and and it's in in many ways, it may be changing depending on how you set up your contact center. It may be changing the role of that contact center agent from responding with scripted uh, content to becoming a problem solver. So we're changing that traditional role to become to listen to solve a problem and then to make sure that your processes, your workflows, your knowledge management is designed to solve problems and not just to give policy statements. And what what we find when we do that is we're reducing the average handle time. In in some cases we can reduce it in half, right? So here we are working with live agents, right, in chat and and uh, and calls, and finding that when we don't spend a whole lot of time apologizing and really getting to that root cause, and that we have our workflows and our KB set up so that we can solve people's problems. And again, that goes back to the equation, right? So here are the inputs. And we know when customers call for these reasons, we know the outcome that they're looking for, but have we set up policies and procedures that don't really help them? And when you do that, they're, it's going to make the call longer or the interaction longer. It's going to make them call back because maybe they're doing agent phishing, which is, you know, that you just keep calling till you get a, you wear down an agent or you keep calling till you find an agent that will give you what you're looking for, right? And so a lot of these things that happen that drive up prices, right? So we go back to, we wanna use self-service and technology to reduce costs. Is it possible? Yes. Is it also possible to provide live service and reduce costs? It is. But a lot of it has to do with policies and procedures that you've set up and making sure that you're not spending a whole lot of time in the interaction apologizing and that you're really solving the root cause. And so sometimes that means looking at why do people call and then what are our policies as a company to truly solve those top 10 or 20 things, right? And then that may mean going up the ladder to ask for different policies and procedures and outcomes. And a lot of what we've done at DoorDash is because um, David, who I'm working with there, is really focused on making sure that customers get what they want and need. And that's what creates the long-term loyalty and the growth in the company. You
0: know, I love how you ended that with it being that loyalty piece, right? It's not just that one time they interact, it's the whole journey they're going to have that they want to continue, right? There's a lot of times where we talk about where, you know, my complaint to you is an opportunity for you to strengthen the relationship, right? That's not me telling you you're being fired because me telling you being fired is I just stopped doing business with you. And those people that you interact with, and you give them a self-service option, that's horrible. And they just don't ever come back. Well, it's because you've already lost them, right? They've already said, see ya, this wasn't worth my time. And what's interesting about what you were talking about is when we go back to the concept of where the technology plays in and where the people come into play, is the technology side there is really to help enable that the the customer have a better experience versus like kind of act as a gatekeeper. It's like, oh, nope, we're not going to let you consume a costly resource until you go through all these steps. And I know that that's a lot of the way companies may think, but some of them try to play it off as like, no, no, it's just a better experience. People want it during certain times of the day when it's convenient for them. Fine. Sure. If it has the outcome that you talked about in mind and them in mind first, But a lot of times it's like, ah, oh, because it's like you said, what's well, less expensive on the front end, but if I'm just pissing a lot of people off, I lose customers. And then when I go to the agents, uh, the whole call is about how upset they are and repeating themselves and I'm sorry, right? Then a lot of that comes down to what I see as a lack of trust and a lack of empowerment, right? I don't trust that the agents will be able to do what I want the way I want them in a cost-effective way. And I'm not going to empower them because I have to structure this in a way where I have all the control. I don't believe that they're going to do the best thing consistently at scale. And so balancing when you have that human connection, that human interaction that's required, the more complex conversations, or just the ones that, like you said, someone just wants to talk to somebody. And maybe because their self service pissed them off, you have to have some balance there where you know that if that agent is empowered to do anything and you don't trust that they're going to do the right thing on behalf of your business, then you're right. Of course, it's just one robot. That's human told what to do, and then another that you're paying less to manipulate, and hopefully it becomes good enough to manage your business. So it's really interesting how when you talk about that, that you look back at all those pieces and you have to holistically come back in and say, "What is the outcome I want? What is the end in mind?" And then ultimately, how do I make it, you know, uh, make sense for the customer in the end? And so let's kind of shift a little bit with the pandemic, right? The pandemic was a paradigm shift in of itself for people just, one, having to go home, and two, a concept of a contact center, people having to go home across the board and leveraging tech externally. So from your side of it, what have you seen from your perspective? What has surprised you or really just been a change for you to see that companies adopted or you were working with companies during the pandemic of Everything from resiliency to just how did they adapt to that change that had to happen and they didn't have a choice?
1: So I think one of the biggest things was during the pandemic, you couldn't have 200 or 500 or 2,000 people in a room, right? So we had to really look at how do we empower companies to empower their agents. And so a lot of the the companies that we were working with at, at the time we were looking at how do you allow a person, an employee to access their desktop. And in some cases that was, how do you set up remote working from home? Um, and then in some countries or some situations, if the internet wasn't stable, then some what some companies did was actually put their agents up in hotels because it, the internet infrastructure was better. And then how do you find the type of desktop software that allows people to be able to access all the systems that they were using ordinarily and be able to do that at home. And that is now what what's cool about the exponential advancement of technology is that that is now possible. And now, now you have a situation where you don't have a bunch of people in a room, right? And so you have to begin to trust that those people are going to do the things that you've asked them to do because they're not physically in the room. You can't do management by walking around. And so I think that what the companies that were successful at this had set up people policies that actually trusted the agent. And and many people obviously were really uh, feeling a lot of gratitude for being able to continue to have a job and to be able to work. But I think that really required a lot of companies to think about how do we trust our employees when they're out of sight? How do we set up our processes because they can't raise their hand to ask a lot of questions? And so I think that it, the pandemic did a lot of things, one of which is that it created a cause for pause. And in that pause, most of us asked ourselves very deep questions about what we want for our personal life, what we want for our work life, and the, I think that that's what's driving a lot of what you see today as we have tried to turn, return to some sort of normal or some sort of, it's, it's really a new status quo to look at what does the workplace look like, what do employees want, what do customers want, what are their expectations. And so I think now more than ever, this concept of empathy of delivering an experience that's really driven by customer and employee feedback is more important than ever to be successful, to reduce that attrition, whether it's from customers or whether it's from employees and then figuring out what kind of technology can actually support the experience of the employee and, and have a good outcome for the customer. And oftentimes like i'm i'm reminded of how much so in a manufacturing situation the very controlled um you know you have like so many widgets and you need to do these certain steps and if you miss a step you mess up the whole line and contact center agents to me have a very similar job where everything about what they do is measured and I don't know if how, when you think about it, if you're a leader or a team leader or running a contact center or running cost customer experience, if you'd want every aspect of what you do measured. And so I think that we overmeasure people without really sitting down and understanding what that experience is like for them. And they ex- when we give them technology to use, what is that experience of that technology? And if you're a vendor listening, Are you really sitting down and using design thinking to sit in a room with contact center agents and test your software and look at that experience? Because the quality of the experience that the employee has is the rate limiting step for the experience of the customer. So if the employee's experience, if it's complicated or not intuitive or frustrating then that's going to impact the experience that the employee can give to the customer. And at the end of the day, if you don't have any employees and you don't have any customers, you really cannot run a business. And so I can't emphasize more the importance of really taking the time to really understand and vet technology from the employee and customer experience point of view
0: said it better myself, I think you've said it throughout our conversation is have the end in mind and then see what the experience is of both the users of the solution and then obviously the ones on the other end that are getting the experience from that. Right. So in this case is the customer. And so with the time that we have left, and I know we've had a lot of great stuff. And like you said, we could fill another several hours of conversation out maybe in the future to have those conversations. But let's kind of shift a little bit to the personal side. of it. Obviously, you don't just work 100% of the time. I mean, you, you may say you do, but let's kind of switch it over to what do you do in your spare time? I mean, outside of advocating and transforming businesses and leveraging empathy and action, what are you doing in the spare time that you do
1: have? So I'm lucky. I live in Marina del Rey. And um, so I spend a lot of time riding my bike. Um, I live close enough that I... I, I can ride by the sea or um, to the beach and that, that's really refreshing and it gives you kind of what I would call my reset. Um, I have a little dinghy that I like to take out um, just in the, the harbor here. Um, I, I do spend a lot of my time resetting with yoga or spending time with friends. Um, I, think it's, um, I think it's really important to maintain that human connection And to really spend time, um, I think, resetting, I think, in this day and age, because we move so quickly and life is more complicated than it has ever been and in many ways feels more uncertain. Just spending that time making those connections is probably my my top priority with friends and family.
0: Well, it's great you're able to disconnect and you have some ways to do it, right? You, you're not thinking about what those are. You're like very specific, like this is what I do, this is what I do. And I think for anybody, right, to have those moments to disconnect, it's super important. And go find stuff, right? Go find things to be able to do that, and it's going to give you that the ability to refresh, like you said, reset. Uh, so you obviously are in your own business, running your own business. You're worked for others. What is that one piece of advice or that guidance you'd give to somebody um, that you just feel would be important to share with the audience and say, look, if there's anything I could share with you that I've gained in my journey that I think is good for you to know or learn, especially if you want to go off and do your own business, what would that be?
1: I think always have the end in mind and understand who your customer is and make sure that you're talking to them about the things that they want and need. And manage expectations. Um, I really believe that we if we can be focused on on who and you and oftentimes whether you're in a corporate situ- situation, you have many different customers. You have customers that you're managing up to. You have customers that you're you know at, at your peers, and then you have customers who are people who are looking up to you. And so, making sure that you're really taking all that into consideration. About how you conduct yourself, how you make decisions, whether you're inclusive, whether you're looking for feedback. Oftentimes, I think we try to we tend to move so fast when we're inside of companies, and that idea of slowing down to go fast and taking the time. You know, it, you may not be co located, so you can't sit down and have a cup of coffee, but doing a Zoom call or or Google Meet or something and spending that time to get to know somebody. I think when you start with the people side of people, then that helps all the other pieces. And when you're running your own business, just really think about what the marketplace looks like. Think about what people are really struggling with and then focusing on helping them solve something that they haven't been able to solve before. And that's really basically what I try to do.
0: Awesome. Now, look, Dr. Natalie, there's going to be people that want to connect with you. How do they go about doing that?
1: Uh, The best way is to find me at drnatalinews.com or on LinkedIn, um, Dr. Natalie Petahoff, or email me, drnatalie at Gmail.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining today. We had a great conversation. Hopefully the audience felt the same way. So that's another episode of First Contact, Stories of the Contact Center. Thanks so much for joining. Look forward to having you on the next time. See ya. Thank you. Thank you for joining me in this episode. If you're loving the content, make sure to hit that subscribe button on your YouTube channel for exclusive clips, webinars, workshops, and bonus materials. And if you're an Apple iTunes listener, we would greatly appreciate a five-star rating and review to help spread the word. On our YouTube page, you can also leave us feedback, comments, and suggest future guests that you'd like to hear from. For even more valuable insights and information on the call center world, visit nobelbiz.com and access our on-demand webinars. I'm Christian Montez, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of First Contact Podcast. Stay with us for the next exciting chapter.